morning, church. Merry Christmas Eve to you. It's already been uh, such a good day of celebration, but finally we get to read Luke 2, the Christmas story in this Advent. So let's pray. I am praying this morning for a friend of mine who's preaching at our former church, First Baptist Church of Roswell. They're still uh, looking for a lead pastor. So Chris is their interim pastor. Let's pray for him and let's pray that God does amazing things in that place and then ask him to do the same right here. Let's pray and we'll get in the word. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to celebrate Christ on Christmas. It's easy uh, with all the hustle and bustle to be distracted. So even now, we just commit whatever it is, this next 20, 25 minutes to you. We just, we open-handedly say, God, move and do big things in this moment. When your word is proclaimed and heralded and we see Jesus' birth and the good things that you're up to not only 2,000 years ago, but in history from day one. God, you've been a promise keeper. Would it stir us to a greater affection for you? Would it stir us to an ability to live for you differently? God, I ask even now for uh, FBC Roswell and for Pastor Chris. I know they're doing something special and unique for them. And so as they proclaim the good news of the gospel, would you bring repentance and salvation there? Would there be new life? Even stories like we've seen from Bryce, would people be able to look back at the day of Christmas Eve 2023 and say, that's when I surrendered to Jesus. God, would you bring salvation and redemption, joy in that place? I pray you would bless Pastor Chris and his ability to preach the gospel and do it unashamedly with courage and boldness. But I also ask you you bless this time with us. Would you make your kingdom come and your will be done right here in Wimberley? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it is Christmas Eve, unique. Uh, Christmas Day or Christmas Eve would fall on a Sunday morning. So thank you for being here and making a commitment to say, I want to hear the word of God preached. I want to gather together with the saints. I want the fellowship. I want to sing. And uh, I'm sure some of you, in the midst of all the craziness and the schedules and the celebrations and the gifts and the food, have stopped to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes, anybody? Some of you have, I'm sure. It's so great, right? There's the planning and the tree and the gifts and Lucy and Charlie fighting and all the stuff. And at the very end, Linus just stands boldly and says, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. And he quotes from memory the passage that we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 2 and finishes up and says, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. My favorite line in that whole Series of cartoons, right? Just seeing the gospel clearly read, clearly proclaimed. I want to do that this morning. My goal is to be a little more brief than normal. So it sounds like I'm rushing through like a freight train. It's because I'm trying to let you have your family time. But what a moment to pause and just consider, this is the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 2, you can follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, if you ever are curious why the Bible repeats itself, here's the answer. We needed to get that. Jesus was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All those are the same word. They refer to Jesus being our Messiah. Verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told of them. Now I want to show you Briefly, just six themes found in the Christmas story on this Christmas Eve day. But I cannot pass up the opportunity to look at the context here of verse 1. In the days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus, this is uh, twofold here in the scripture. One, historical context. When was Jesus born? He was born in the days that Caesar Augustus demanded that a registration happen, right? So we know historically when this happened. It is a historical date that we can look back and see Caesar Augustus was ruling in Rome. But if you took your world history, or if you remember, you like history, you know something, this Latin phrase called the Pax Romana. Anyone know? Got a little show of hands, Pax Romana? Anyone? All right, a couple, just a few. The peace of Rome. Rome, interestingly enough, is not very peaceful. They're conquering, 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 right? And then there's this peace of Rome. And in the season, in the day of the peace of Rome, where Caesar says, I am the one that should be honored. I'm the one that should be praised. I'm the one that gets the glory. There's another king, a better king, born in a humble manger that ultimately will go to the cross and not just die and stay dead, raise from the grave. And he is the one that gets the glory. And he is the one that gives ultimate peace. Amen? We can't pass that up. It's really interesting what's happening there in the Gospel of Luke to see the contrast between Caesar Augustus, those who would say a great king, and Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to show you these six themes. Number one, promises fulfilled. Verse 4 and verse 11 are very clear to tell us about the city of David, the lineage of David. Verse 11, unto you born in the city of David. There is this reminder over and over and over in the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus to remind us of the promises that Jesus the Messiah, 
would be born not only in the lineage of David, but in Bethlehem. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Micah 5? But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. It's a reminder of the fulfilled promise that God give, gave to us. It's a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And if you don't already know this, just write this down. God is in the business of keeping his promises. He's in the business of keeping his promises. Look at all the details that had to happen for this to be accomplished. God used the pride of a pagan king to say, you know what? I want to know how many people are in my kingdom. you got to go get them registered in the town that they were born in. Right? They didn't live in Bethlehem. They traveled to Bethlehem. Why? Because the pride of a pagan king causes Joseph to trek across the land with his pregnant wife. Not really a good idea, right? When my wife was eight-ish, nine-ish months pregnant, I didn't say, I think I should saddle you up on a donkey and go on a road trip. It just doesn't work like that. But these are the details that God is giving so that he might keep his promise that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I want you to know that God keeps his promises. Why? Because he has sovereign authority. And if he could handle the details of the birth of Jesus, if he could handle the details of the life of Joseph and Mary, he can handle the details of our lives. We can trust him. We can trust him and turn over and surrender and say, Lord, I don't know the answers to all these questions. In fact, if I dwell on them, they just overcome me with anxiety. But I want to turn them to you and say, I trust you. You are sovereign. I trust you. You can handle the details of my life. Even more so because you're a promise keeper. Amen? We're just getting started. I got five more. All right? Here's number two. Humble beginnings. Consider the humble beginnings of Jesus, our Savior. Verse 7 says that he was born in the manger. There's no place for them in the inn, right? So he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Oftentimes, we think of Christmas scenes. We've got one back here. We've got one right up here. This manger, and we think, oh, yeah, it's a crib, right? Jesus is set in the crib. Not really the, the case, okay? This is a feeding trough. So appropriately, there's hay in this feeding trough. We sing the song, away in a manger, no, no. You know the, you know the one? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if we sang that song, away in a feeding trough? It just doesn't quite work the same way, does it? Hey, moms out there, did you lay your baby in a feeding trough? No, right? The humble beginnings of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus had humble beginnings, but it points us forward to the New Testament in Philippians chapter two, where it talks about Christ humbling himself. He humbled himself to the point of death. And that is why Jesus was given a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The humble beginnings was a foreshadowing of the ultimate humility Christ would take to go to the cross. But past that, there is this glory of Jesus. Luke chapter 22 reminds us he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Humble beginnings, but he is worth all of our lives. Humble beginnings, but he is the, mo the one most worthy of all of our affection and our praise. Fulfilled promises humble beginnings. I love this third theme, the gospel for all 
people. Verse 10 and verse 11. This could make a whole sermon, but I won't do that to you this morning. Verse 10 and verse 11. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. That good news, it's the the Greek word we use for gospel, evangelium. You don't have to know that. But I do want you to know that every time you see that, good news, it's gospel. It's good news, why? Because it's the gospel, the gospel that saves. That even though we were far from him, even though we were enemies of God, Jesus brings us close and he pays for our forgiveness. That is good news. And did you notice who received this good news? The angels speaking to the shepherd boys. Good news of great joy. For all of the people, I don't know if you ever stopped to realize this, but shepherds were the blue-collar workers of Jesus' day, all right? They were the common Joes. They weren't the ones that people were making note about. They weren't the ones that were taking care of things in the big metropolitan areas of the first century. They were shepherd boys out in the field. They were common Joes, yet God uses them to proclaim the good news. They go in to Mary and Joseph, and what did they say? I want to tell you what the angels told us, that this baby is bringing good news of great joy for all the people. They are the first ambassadors of the gospel. Did you know that? The angels say, go tell. Go tell. And they go tell. And who did God want to use to advance the kingdom? Common people. Common people. And did you know, if I'm honest with you, I love telling people about Jesus, and I love equipping the church to tell people about Jesus. But one of the mistakes that I make, that I think often you make if you're honest, is we prejudge somebody on whether or not we think they're going to listen to the good news before we share it with them. Am I the only one? Am I the only one that's guilty of that? Man, I want to share with this person, but they they look pretty rough. I don't even think they're going to listen. They look pretty distracted. I don't think they're going to listen. They look pretty wealthy. I think they don't think they need anything. They look pretty rebellious. Did you see what they're wearing? We prejudge people before we share the gospel. Isn't it good that the angels didn't prejudge the shepherds? I don't think we could trust you with this message. My wife and I did student ministry for 10 years. She loved doing overnights with the girls, right? junior high girls, high school girls, get a bunch of leaders in our house. I would go away. It's the only time that she kicked me out of the house. Never kicked me out of the house because she was angry with me. She said, hey, this bunch of girls going to be here. You need to go. Figure it out. Get out of here. Girls would walk in. They'd bring their friends, right? They'd be up late, having fun, being crazy, eating a lot of sugar, but also talking about Jesus. And there was a time that a girl walked in all black, black hair, black makeup, dog collar with spikes on, friend of one of our students from church. She thought to herself, this is going to be interesting. You know who stayed up the latest talking about Jesus with my wife? Into the night, two, three in the morning. You know who stayed up the latest? Young lady in the black clothes with the black makeup. Let's not be guilty of prejudging people. Let's just be ambassadors of the good news. 
Let's tell people about Jesus. It is good news of great joy for all the people, not just the people we think need to hear it. No, all the people. Every tongue, every tribe, every language, every socioeconomic level, every interest, every hobby, all the people. It's good news. There's another theme I want to think about. It's actually our Advent theme. We covered hope, we covered love, we covered joy, and right now we cover peace, the peace that Jesus brings. Let's for a moment consider the peace. This is the message in verse 14, the peace of Christ. Look one more time at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, I don't know how to please God. Or you might have wrongly thought that you have to please God in order to have peace. No, Jesus is the only one that makes us able to please him. It's not what we do. It's what he did. It's what he did. And so how do we know how to please God? It's in the context. There was this one who prepared the way for the the Messiah. His name was John the Baptist. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79. Talking about John the Baptist, okay? Here's... uh, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah's prophecy, 76. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace, true peace, you know how it's accomplished? Because Jesus came to save sinners. You can underline verse 77. John the Baptist was going to prepare the way, give knowledge of salvation to the people, give knowledge of how forgiveness of sin is possible. The reason that we can have peace, true peace, is because of Jesus. That we understand that we were once lost In darkness, but in Christ, we can be brand new. That we were once dead in our trespasses, but in Christ, we can be made alive. Or that we were once guilty and condemned because of our sin, but in Christ, we can be forgiven and redeemed and claim Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus brings peace. I'm reminded of James chapter four. You can read it later. Verse four says, we were enemies of God. Outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. And if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Let me tell you, everyone in the room, outside of Christ, all I want is to be a friend of the world. I don't wanna submit to God. I don't wanna do it his way. I don't wanna admit that I'm a rebel and then I'm a sinner and the prideful and greedy. I don't want all those things outside of Christ. It makes me an enemy of God. But in Christ, I come with all my baggage and all my weakness and all my failure, and I say, here, take it all. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. That's true peace. It's true peace. Romans 5, 8 gives us a, a similar, excuse me, Romans 5, verse 10 gives us a similar picture that we're enemies of God outside of Christ, but in Christ we can have peace. And I cannot tell you, the handfuls of church members that knew I was speaking about peace, 
and said, Pastor Aaron, I just got to tell you, this is my favorite theme in all the Advent. This is my favorite theme in all of the gospel. I know a lot of people, they're raising the church, or maybe they've got their lives put together before they're adults, but anyone, anyone that has struggled for any season as a, as a young adult, teenager, or adult, and they understand what life outside of Christ looks like, when they come to Christ and they understand peace, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Or, or if you are a Christian and the circumstances of life and the chaos of life overwhelms you like crashing waves. I don't know if it's a medical diagnosis or, or a debt that you're sitting under. I don't know if it's a frustrating circumstance or you have brokenness in your family. But if you know what I'm talking about, true suffering, because we live under the curse of sin in this world, yet you know Christ and you can have peace in the midst of that, you got a testimony and you better share it. You've heard pieces of my testimony growing up as a young man, total chaos. Parents separated, gotten back together. Now my dad's got this brain disease. My siblings are going crazy. They're fighting each other with knives, not just like typical sibling rivalry. And in the midst of all that chaos, I surrendered to Jesus. And there was peace, peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus was born that we might have peace. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men. Jesus brings peace and what it takes is a humble surrender to the gospel. The response that says, Jesus, I, I thank you. And for the first time, my eyes are opening and my, my ears are hearing that I need to turn from sin and trust in you. You are the only one that offers this peace. You are the only one that offers this new life. And I'm tired of struggling on my own. I want to turn from sin and trust in you. Thank you for dying. Thank you for raising. Now help me live the new life that you promised. That's true peace this Christmas. And if you don't know Christ, I hope you find peace this Christmas. Two more, briefly. Look at this theme of the glory of God. It's repeated over and over in this passage. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. When we see repetition in the Bible, it's a flashing red light. It says, pay attention all through this passage. Glory, 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 glory. You can see it there in the notes. Verse 9, verse 13, verse 14. Even all the way into verse 20, the shepherds are glorifying God. It's all about the glory of God. And so when the shepherds are first introduced to this promise by the angels, it says that the glory of God shone around them. I can't even imagine what that means in verse 9. I have had small little glimpses of God giving me a bigger picture of who he is where I just am overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with tears, times that I've wanted to literally get on my knees and then fall on my face because I think, God, you're so awesome. You're so glorious. You're so majestic. You've done great things. And that is a fraction of a fraction of what I think the shepherds were experiencing. The glory of the Lord shone around them. God is doing something awesome. And every time God is doing something awesome, his glory shines. His glory shines. Now, there were uh, uh, angels speaking to the shepherds, giving them this good news of great joy. And the angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good news. But did you see what happened in verse 14? This is interesting. 
Suddenly it goes from an angel to verse 14. A host, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now, I listen, I think the shepherds were already afraid. That's why the angel said, don't be afraid. But when it goes from the glory of God shining all around me and one angel, and then all of a sudden there's a multitude of angels, I am shaking in my knees. I don't think I can walk into Bethlehem and say good news. I, I don't, I probably pass out. I need to go to first century ER, right? <laughs> a multitude. Another translation says armies of angels, right? I don't know if you like the classic war movie, Braveheart, blue face, painted, come on, we're going to get them, not today, we're going to hold our ground, they're charging in. That's intimidating. And rather than being intimidated, there is this standing in awe, God, you're doing great things. God, you're awesome. God, we praise you. God, we give you the glory. I wonder this Christmas morning if you've had that kind of experience. God, you deserve the glory. I say you're worthy. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my obedience. You're worthy of my priority to do the things you've called me to do, to lead my family, to be a part of a church family. God, you're worthy. You are worthy to use me as a mouthpiece to tell others about Jesus. God, you are worthy and you are seated in a throne of glory and I just want my life to make one small piece of difference for your name, not for my name, but for your name, for your glory. Do you see it? Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas theme, the glory of God. And if you understand that glory, it leads you to praise. It really does lead you to an overwhelming sense of praising God. You see it in verse 18, 19, and 20. You see it in the way that Mary treasured up these things in her heart. Chapter 251 says something similar that she treasures the truth about Christ, that he will come to save sinners. But you also see it in the way that the shepherds respond in verse 20. They leave. How do they leave? Man, they return glorifying and praising God. They're going back out to the hills just praising God. They have seen great things, and they respond by praising him. I want to sing about it. I want to tell about it. I want to think about it. I want to praise him. If you've experienced anything that is praiseworthy this Christmas season, it's time to sing. <laughs> it's time to sing about it, right? Why do we come back and light candles and bring our whole family to the candlelight service? Why? Because we want to glorify God. We want to sing about it. God, you've done great things. If you understand the peace of Christ, true peace, even though I was an enemy, now I am Adopted into a family, and I'm at peace. If you understand peace, the natural response is to praise him. That's a natural response. So this Christmas, how will you praise him? How will you praise him? And turning into the new year, 2024, how will you praise him? We see God doing great things in history and in our lives, and our natural response is to praise him. I don't know if any of these themes are an encouragement to you. I don't know if you would just pick one and say, that, that one's the greatest encouragement to me. I want to dwell on that. I want to tell someone about that. When we gather around the family dinner table, I want to ask more questions about that. Or if any of these would lead you to a deeper relationship with Jesus or a greater response of obedience. The reason we have this prayer time at the end of our gathering 
is for you to come and literally get on your knees and say, God, I need your help because I don't think about your glory enough. Would you help me? God, I need your help because when I go to share people and tell them about Jesus, I prejudge them. Forgive me for that and help me not to do that anymore. Lord, I need your help because we're thinking about peace and if I'm honest, all of December, the first 24 days, not one of them have been peace. All of them have been filled with worry and anxiety and the, the hustle and bustle. And I just confess that to you right now and I ask that you change me. And you know what the good news of repentance is? Repentance is always a gift. I don't know why we think this in our mind, church. We're like, oh no, those people up there repenting, they must be bad sinners. No, they're actually people honoring God. And the, the gift that they have of being totally washed, forgiven, no condemnation, and that joy with the Lord, that's better than those that sit around thinking, oh, I don't know what they did. <laughs> right? Because they're in the presence of the Lord saying, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you brought this to my attention. I lay it down and I claim the gospel and the cross. I'm just clinging to the cross because he makes me brand new. And now I walk out of here totally at, at one with you, God. Totally washed clean and forgiven. So that's why we do this response time. I make a big deal about it because I think people underutilize it. I'm not going to pressure you to come pray if you're not being called to pray. But I wonder if one of these six themes would cause you to respond. The promises of God fulfilled, humble beginnings, gospel for all people, the peace of Christ, the glory of God, or the praise of God. Do you see any of these and want to make a change in your life?